afternoon you are on the panel on RNZ National. Nice to have you with us. Power Ballad of Friday. We have Moata Tamaira and Chris Finlayson this afternoon. And the Coromandel has been hit yet again with heavy rain. 102 millimetres in eight hours overnight. Heavy rain continues. Uh, roads closed. Services across the peninsula closed, including Mercury Bay Area School. And messages saying if it's Yellow, let it mellow. Yes, the wastewater discharge network was impacted. With us is Civil Defence Controller Gary Towler with me for the latest uh, update. Uh, Kia ora, Gary. Now the heavy rain warning is in place till 8pm tonight. Has it calmed down a bit at all this afternoon, Gary? It has calmed down. Um, so since you've given this little update, we've made uh, pretty good progress today. So uh, the rains are starting to ease. It's still it's still pretty wet and very very windy. But um, look, we've got pretty much every road open. There's only one uh, one area of slips out of the big six that we had today um, on State Highway 25, just um, north of Manaia. The crews are still working on it. But apart from that, look, we're uh, we're back up and running, and uh, our wastewater systems um, uh, up and running as well. They they were issued, they were hit by power surges and so forth and a bit of turbidity. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a busy day. Yeah. And for people travelling to Coromandel for the weekend, I know over the past couple of months you've wanted everyone to know you're open for business. Still the case for this weekend? Yes, it, it, it will be. So, um, yeah, the, the, the riding crews, you know, they do a, they do a fantastic job. You've really got to take your head off to mm. them and... We we would expect that um, this latest set of slips, um, as I said, just north of Manaia, uh, should be clear by later this evening. And um, yes, we'll be open for business. But the thing is, it's going to be slippery and it's going to be you know a little bit muddy and so forth. So as as long as uh, the visitors and the holiday makers take their time. Um, it'll be great. Yeah, uh, so we're talking with someone off air actually about the, na- the, the the nature of the land at the moment and just how, with such rain across the year, um, the land is pretty sodden. Uh, is that an issue too uh, in the Coromandel? Oh, absolutely. Look, by the uh, by the close of play today, uh, Wallace, we probably would have had close to four point five meters of rain already this year. Yeah, that's west coast. Um, figures, and that's more than double our annual rainfall already. And we've got what twenty something weeks to go. So, um, land instability is a major issue for us, and pretty much every day we are dealing with um, slips uh, coming from uh, you know, dock land or from reserves onto private property and within private property itself. So, it's a major issue. We've got forty-three placarded houses still from Cyclone Gabriel. So yes, it is a major issue, and it probably will be for some time. Did you say four metres of rain? We've we've had 4.477 metres of rain as at midday today for the year. Unreal. And yeah, it is. It is absolutely unreal. It's it's just hard to believe. It. It's it's a record that surpasses everything. And um, as I say, we've got. I think it's like we've got 23 weeks to go. We've already done our annual rainfall. Um, in some. All right, Gary, thanks for staying in touch with us here on RNZ National. I do appreciate it. Uh, that's uh, Civil Defence Controller Gary Towler. Um, the, the figures, Chris, are really extraordinary. I'm not quite sure whether you've been impacted as much in 
Wellington, uh, but uh, you know, it's <laughs> in Tamaki Makoto here, it is all the talk every day. People are saying, you know, since early January, it just seems that it just has not stopped raining. Mm. No, well, I don't think we have been affected the way our northern brothers and sisters have been. It's really sad about the Coromandel. It makes you re- wonder whether or not some houses have been built in the wrong place. And, you know, whenever you come into land over Christchurch, you see the remains of uh, those eastern suburbs out near the coast, uh, which were built in the wrong place. And it does make you realise that maybe people buy properties um, high up on spots that give fantastic views of the Gulf and so on, but they shouldn't be built there because when this sort of thing happens, those houses are ruined. What's your thoughts on that, Moira? Um... Well, I, I definitely noticed that it has been wetter this winter in Christchurch as well. I mean, not to the same extent, obviously. Uh, but it does make me wonder how, if if this is sort of unprecedented levels of um, of rain and everything indicates that this is going to continue to happen, how do we go about things like uh, infrastructure repairs in a way that's mm. sustainable. That's the question, isn't it? Uh, 12 past for the panel, RNZ National. Well, the football ferns have made history in the opening game of the FIFA Women's World Cup. And New Zealand, for the first time in their history, have won a World Cup match in front of the biggest crowd to ever watch a football match in their country. New Zealand with FIFA ranking 26 defeated Norway ranking 12, 1-0 to register their first ever win at the global showpiece. Last night will be remembered up there with Rory Fallon against Bahrain, Winston Reid against Slovakia, writes Steve Holloway in the Herald. Over 40,000 fans, Eden Park, Hannah Wilkinson securing that incredible win with a goal two minutes into the second half. And one of those 42,137 fans was... Julie Cook. Kia ora, Julie. Welcome to the panel. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. How are you? I'm very well. Firstly, Julie, the largest crowd in the history for a football game in New Zealand. You've got to tell us about being there, being in person, the atmosphere. Oh, Look, it, it has to be the best live sporting event I've ever been to. Um, and I've been to see New Zealand, Australia uh, in the Rugby World Cup. This oh, wow. just knocked everything out of the park I mean I'm still on a buzz from it today it was um, the roar of the crowds particularly when Hannah Wilkinson got the gold it was just um, yeah honestly it was electric I've never sort of been involved in a, a live sporting event like that before it was amazing so what made it so what made it that electric being there um, look the crowd was completely invested from the word go mm. Um, we were there with the team. We saw the way that the New Zealand players came out. They just had this huge energy. They didn't stop from the word go. And I felt like there was some give and take with the with the crowd. We were jumping up and down. You were, we were hugging strangers. It was just a, it was a great family <laughs> atmosphere. There was just um, yeah, there was just 
I don't know. There was just something in the air right from, right yeah. from the word go. Yeah. Now, your daughter, Eliza, was the flag bearer, I believe, carrying the big white campaign flag. Yes, she was one of six. They needed yeah. six of them to keep that flag in the wind, to keep it where it was supposed to be. Um, it, she was so lucky she was chosen with a, with a teammate. They uh, applied, as a lot of soccer clubs did, around uh, around Tamaki Makoto to give, be given this opportunity, and she was lucky enough to be uh, selected. And so they were at Eden Park from about 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon, oh. and um, they got to go out there in front of the big crowd, stand next to the ferns while they sang the national anthem. It was just um, I was so proud and excited. Yeah for her. It was fantastic. And if you were buzzing, imagine uh, what Eliza was going through. Oh, look, she was, <laughs> uh, I, I think we might have pushed her into bed about midnight last night. I think she was on a, <laughs> a complete high for the rest of the night, and I think it lasted and it's still going. It's just it's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, Moata, have you, have you been following this or not, or do you, do you follow football or what? Um. I think we've had conversations about sport before, Wallace, and um, I'm I'm very agnostic when it comes to sport. I can really take it or leave it. And in fact, I didn't realise the game was on. I did my grocery shopping last night, and then after that, I like logged on to my Twitter and saw every single person I follow was just like screaming about the football. And I was like, oh, okay. There's a game on. Yeah, stay there, um, Julie. And Chris Finlayson, I'm not entirely sure if you, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're the biggest sports fan. Oh, no, I love sport. In fact, I was transfixed today watching Rory McIlroy get out of a bunker at the Royal Liverpool yeah. in the British Open. So, uh, no, but as a general principle, I do not believe in watching sport. I believe in playing it. And I'm not one of those Monday morning quarterbacks. And I remember years ago at Bell Gully, uh, some of the female solicitors were complaining that all people wanted to talk about was rugby on a Monday morning, including many women solicitors, actually. And I said, well, I'm with you. I'd rather talk about the orchestra. But you know my views, and so yeah. I don't want to denigrate the great start uh, by the team. I'm a, of the winter code sports. I am a very strong fan of soccer. And football, I think it's a great sport. It's a beautiful sport. Uh, and um, it doesn't cause as much concussion as rugby or rugby league. And I think it's to be encouraged. So well done on a good start. But I would be uh, lying if I told you I was interested. Yep. And also well done, Roy McElroy, too. I've um, been, uh, been following that also. But back to this, Julie. What, what, what do you think this will do for women's sport and also women and girls' participation in soccer? A lot of young people, like your daughter, Eliza, who is a flag bearer, will no doubt be extremely inspired. Yeah, they will. I was thinking last night there was certainly nothing like this for me to watch when I was her age. Yeah. Um, and to see young women competing at this elite level on an international stage, I don't think we can underestimate what a positive effect that's going to have on, on young girls in, in any sport in this country. Um, there's certainly, there are a lot of girls playing soccer now, playing football, um, particularly in Auckland. And um, it's just... Uh, there's, some, there's something about the sport, perhaps because it's got such an international following. Mm. It, it just feels like a really good thing for the kids to be involved with. Wonderful stuff, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us on the panel. Pleasure. Thanks, Wallace. Kia ora. That's Julie Cook there. The panel are NZ National. By the way, just a, 
thank you very much for Moata Tamaira brought up in her. I've been thinking of the notion of uh, compliments. Um, and uh, we should uh, deliver compliments more. So thank you for this. Someone says, Wallace, the timbre of your voice is both professional, warm and comforting, like a cosy couch that doubles as a psychologist's armchair. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's a good good one. Uh, And a compliment for Chris Finlayson, your humour is like a dog whistle. It mostly goes undetected, but to those that get it, they really get it, says Lawrence. (laughs) Oh, people tell me I've got a sledgehammer wit. Yeah, so thank you uh, for that. And uh, Guy says, I couldn't concur more. I am still buzzing. Possibly the best sporting event I've been to. For all its criticism, FIFA put on a fine presentation and the woman set the pace from the start. So, yeah, thank you for your uh, feedback this afternoon. And to this, the dental grant for people on low incomes was raised... To $1,000, up from 300 bucks in December last year. Over the past six months, the number of people accessing grants has doubled to 20,000 people, showing a lot of people out there have been putting off the dentist due to costs. Dentists are saying it's a successful scheme, but it still might not go far enough. What thus is the New Zealand Dental Association Chief Executive, Dr. Mo Amzo, Dr. Amzo Kiora. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Interesting story, this isn't it? Because you know, over the years I've been in media, we were covering this. You know, why did this dental grant always stay at three hundred dollars? Because it was for th- it was three hundred dollars for a quarter century. Am I right? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. It was baffling how it managed to stay at that level um, and under deliver for New Zealanders for so long. So here we go, all of a sudden, all of a sudden but uh, in the end it did get raised to $1,000. Uh, and do you think the boost in funding has been a success? Uh, yes, it has gone a long way to alleviating the pain and suffering inflicted by dental disease um, for Kiwis across the Motu. Uh, but there's still a long way to go before we can sit back and relax and say the job is done. In what way? Well, there is still a great amount of debt that New Zealand is going into. So the data released still shows there's around $15 million um, that New Zealanders are still going into debt for through the Ministry of Social Development uh, to pay for dental treatment that's not covered by uh, the special needs grants. Um, And so we believe there is still more work to be done to eliminate the the financial hardship that um, is caused by unmet dental need. Well, let's bring in our panellist, Moata. Um, uh, it's just really interesting to me, and it always has been, that we treat the bones that are inside our mouths differently from the ones that are inside our bodies. Like, your teeth are part of your body, and uh, we have a health system that is supposed to take care of our bodies that we don't have to pay for and yet um, dental is always treated differently. I'm I'm assuming there's historic reasons for it but it is nonsensical to me. So as great as it is that um, this grant has been lifted to a more realistic amount I just think it should be covered by the health system. No. Well, look, I think you're absolutely right. And the distinction we have here in New Zealand is we fund through a health benefit, so through Vote Health, all children and adolescents under the age of 18. And for everyone over the age of 18, New Zealand has a social benefit um, available for 
um, adults in hardship and financial hardship uh, and that comes through vote social development so the approach we've had in New Zealand unfortunately has been um, it's a health benefit and an entitlement for all children and adolescents but everyone over the age of 18 may be able to get support if they financially need it. Now, should everyone be funded? Well, we've had a different approach as a profession whereby we've argued it should be targeted. So everyone who needs the care should access it. I often use myself as an example. I can afford dentistry. I don't need to have it funded for me, but I would rather the money go towards people. Now, take my share and give it to someone who really needs it and give them more access. Um, So... I I agree with the sentiment, and I think more should be done to make dentistry and oral health care um, a part of general health care. You can't separate the mouth out of the body. Your opinion on this, Chris? Oh, I totally agree, and um, it's not just dentistry. It's also going to see the dental hygienist. Uh, I try and go twice a year, um, and it's just amazing uh, the uh, transformation that they rendered. But there aren't enough dental hygienists around either. So I'm very pleased at this policy. When I was, for example, Minister of Treaty Negotiations and would go out on the road, the state of rural Maori uh, dental health really just used to worry me, uh, and particularly with young people. And so I think it's a move in the right direction and the government's to be commended. Well, in fact, uh, Mo, you you said, haven't you, that uh, patients you used to treat in the community used to struggle to get jobs because they had bad teeth. It had that much of an impact. Absolutely, yes. And in fact, often we had referrals from the work and income offices for beneficiaries who couldn't get jobs because of this. And, um, and and of course, I mean, apart from the fact that a great deal of people's well-being lies in their smile and ability to eat and um, chew and interact, but it, it forms, you know, a lot of people argue it's the entrance um, to your soul. It's, what, it's where a lot of your mana comes from. Uh, it contributes to your mental health. So it is an area that has a significant impact on your general well-being. Dr. Mo Amzo there from the New Zealand Dental Association. Uh, he's the chief executive here. Kia ora. It's 25 past four. The panel RNZ National. Oh, I don't have a microwave. The person who doesn't have a microwave will tell you, writes Claire Finney in The Guardian. Put the air fryer back in the box. A microwave. It's now Britain's hottest cookery gadget. For many years, as uh, for many years, microwaves meant bad cooking. Popularised in the late 1970s, the gadget spawned a slew of microwave cookbooks. There were even cooking classes in New Zealand. It's a part of our social history. Reheating that food, curries, stews, pies, brings out the flavours. Apparently, with us now this afternoon is Jean. Welcome, Jean. Hi. <laughs> Can, yes. It's great to have you on. Can you recall the days of the microwave cooking class? Oh, for sure, yeah. We invested a considerable amount of money. I think it was probably over $1,000 in the 80s. I, I, I just remember it was a lot of money to buy this monster that had a sort of wood grain panel around the sides. That's and the it one. took up far too much of the kitchen bench but you know everybody had to have a microwave and we were all told 
pretty much that there was no way you'd be able to operate one without going to classes because they were so complicated. <laughs> so you went to class, what, one, oh, one night a week? the family went one night a week for weeks and there was wine and they would cook things and we'd eat them. It was great fun. The room would be packed with people. We really looked forward to it. It was lots of fun. And then we all had to buy all the essential cookery gear, you know, the cookware, because, of course, you couldn't possibly put an ordinary thing in the microwave, which, of course, you can, but we were sort of led to believe you had to buy things. So we bought things, most of which we didn't ever use. And, um, yeah, I pretty much used it to cook vegetables for years and years and years. And that dear old microwave, which was so huge, we relegated it to the batch eventually so we could replace it with a smaller one. And it was stolen from the batch in the mid-2000s. Iconic, (laughs) Jean. Jean, I love the memories. Um, We've got someone else on the line, so we'll we'll leave you there. But uh, thank you for your contribution there. Uh, You're hearing that, Chris. What do you do? I mean, how, Chris Finlayson, how do you reheat that cheese souffle or enchilada from the night before? Well, you can't. And uh, what what did Paul Keating say about a former liberal leader? Souffles don't rise twice. But um, I have a touching story about microwaves because I was in a flat in Thorndon and I had two flatmates and they fell in love going to microwave lessons together. It was quite touching. And then she would come home and cook him some beautiful meals uh, as a result of these splendid lessons and I would always get yesterday's scraps. But it was really... Nice to think that people could fall in love at microwave lessons. So there you go. Unbelievable. And listen to that is uh, Chris. Kia ora, Chris. Oh, good day, mate. How are you going? Good. Well, yours is a very special story. Tell the nation. Oh, that's a bit putting on the spot. Not, nothing like it, is there? Um, my mother worked for Hutt Valley Energy Power and Gas Board back in the 70s, or right through to when she retired, actually. And um, there used to be trade shows down in Seaview, which is in Lower Hutt. And mum demonstrated the very first microwave in New Zealand, along with a hover plate, which was a, uh, like a magnetic flux plate that got incredibly hot, and it hovered above the hot plate. And she used to cook bacon and eggs in this thing for demonstration, but I can't for life me remember what she cooked in the microwave, because, you know, the object was just to cook some little snacks and give them away to people. But um, it was quite a big deal at the time. Uh Needless to say, that's an extraordinary story. Your mum demonstrated the very first microwave in this country. Uh, there's some real history here, Mawata. Um, yeah, like I, I had no idea that um, microwave cooking classes were even a thing, <laughs> let alone that people were finding love at them. Um, you know, I thought you just open the door, you, you, you chuck your hot water in there and your mug, you, you press it for a minute, and then that's like... A, that you that you would need to take a class. I'm I'm, fi- I'm struggling. I'm really struggling to understand this. It's kind of blowing Mawata's mind, Chris. But the thing is, the feedback we're getting now about the microwave cooking class of the early '80s is quite something to behold. It, it, it is weird to think about it now, isn't it, Chris? To be fair, but here you have how did how did your mum get into demonstrating the very first microwave in this country? By the way, well, she worked for the Hutville Electric Power and Gas oh, yeah. and they had a retail showroom, which was quite quite large, something like Harvey Normans or um, Noel Emings or the other one, you know, um, 
I can't think of the name of it now, but so they had a very large electrical contingent. You could buy appliances on your power bill back then. So I don't quite know how mum was approached, but obviously the, the power and gas board was a big deal. Um, and mum was the cook there. She used to cook um, dinners for all the staff there. So um, I remember coming home, coming home and sort of saying, oh, I've got this fandangled thing to bloody demonstrate about how I'm going to do it. And none of us knew what it was. And our dad just said, well, what is it? And she said, a microwave. And we went, all right. Yeah, good. Okay, mother's losing the plot. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, I wished I could remember what um, she actually cooked as demonstrations in there. But I think I'd be the only one left now that remembers it. And mum and dad are gone now. Amazing. I don't have time to ask you um, how the bacon and eggs turned out being cooked in a microwave. Chris, we'll leave that to another time when we can just text us. Oh, eggs but, are great. I'll tell you about that later. Are they? <laughs> the panel, RNZ National. Thank you, Chris. Uh, you are on the panel with Moata, Taimata, uh, and Chris Finlayson.